We're continuing our series out of Proverbs, and so if you're a guest here today or haven't been in a few weeks, we're looking at Proverbs, and we're asking this question of how can you have a better life? And so um, not just this self-help thing, but how can you have a better life as a follower of Jesus? And so the foundation is built upon Jesus, and so that's the better part, but what does it also look like as we take the scriptural principles that are in Scripture and apply them to our life, how we can move forward and um, bring life-giving stuff to our lives through the principles of Scripture. So um, we're continuing our series through Proverbs. So if you have your Bibles, we're looking at different places. Um, so you'll, the notes are there in front of you. You can mark that. It's in the Scriptures also that will be up on the screen. Um, all different kind of places for you to be able to do that. So it's been a while since I've been married. I've been married for a couple of years now. <clears throat> and um, being married a couple of years, it was kind of eye-opening to me to think about um, one day my daughter and son are going to get married. And so thinking about that and looking at that and how do you prepare for all those different things. And one of the things, apparently, is they're still having weddings, wedding ceremonies. Y'all have heard that, that rumor? Okay, so that's still happening. And so thinking about those things and <clears throat> what does it cost these days for there to be a wedding? Yeah, I hear, whoo, somebody must have just had that happen. And so I looked it up. The average cost for a wedding in the United States right now is a little over $30,000. That's the average cost. That means somebody's paying more than 30000 and then somebody's related to me, and they paid way less than 30000 And so they're like, wait down here. So I'm like, I saw this, and I'm like, dude, I'm telling my kids to lope, because there ain't no way they're getting 30000 from me and hoping to go to college. So which one you want? You want to go to college and make money, or you want to get married and be broke? All right. So thirty thousand dollars. The the venue is the most expensive place. The venue is about sixteen thousand dollars on average, which means we're going to rework our church policies and we're going to start charging a little bit more because we've been getting ripped off for a little while now, and so we're going to be making some money, and the staff will be going to Hawaii next summer. So, um, man, that's crazy. And then just the dress itself is a little over a thousand dollars. For the average dress. I'm thinking $1,000 for something you're going to wear for a couple of hours? No. So anyway, I know it's all about the day and all that stuff. And we kind of get into that excitement. And I do think about marriage and wedding days kind of like a train wreck. That there's two locomotives. They're in full motion. They're ready to get married. There are all this emotions. Everything's going on. It's chugga, 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 chugga. And it's closer and gets closer. There's more tension and more excitement and more money's getting thrown on there. And, and they forget about the fact that actually there's after a month of being married, we call this thing called the honeymoon, right? Because everything is hunky-dory in the first cycle of the moon for about a month. And then after the first cycle of the moon, life hits. And you realize that you've been in a train wreck, and there's a lot of stuff scattered everywhere, and you've got to sort through it all. And so one of the things I want us to think about this morning is that marriage is a train wreck. And so as we think about that, is that one of the best things that we can do, especially as followers of Christ, is to take a long-term approach to what does it look like to be in relationship, especially with a husband and wife. But then also take some of these principles and look like how can it impact our friendships and how we do life with other people as well over a long so we're looking at relationships, particular marriage relationships. And so some of you have, um, y'all are perfect and y'all have never made mistakes in any of your relationships, so you just tune out for a little bit and come back later on. Those of you that are where we have no perfect people allowed, all of you people that are here, um, I know you've made mistakes, and so just nod with me whenever you go, yeah, I've made that, okay? And so we'll just agree, we won't raise hands and high-five each other 
um, over that because we've done some stump stuff. And so the errors that we make and have made and kind of moving toward this idea of getting married, okay? So that's the first thing I want us to talk about. And so some of the, I'm going to breeze through these real quick. These come from Neil, Dr. Neil Clark Warren, who some of you have maybe tried eHarmony or this online dating thing. This is actually him. He's a believer. And so actually if you read his books and, and all the principles, they come from Proverbs and from Scripture. And so one of the interesting things about book reviews from him is people say, this is really good stuff, except he keeps talking about the Bible. And I'm like, well, yeah, he's a believer, and this good stuff comes from Scripture. And so that's what he's telling you. So this life-giving good stuff about relationships is actually scriptural stuff. That's why he's giving it to you. He just didn't pull it out of the air and say, this sounds really good. But, so this is time-tested life um, Scripture stuff. So the first thing that he tells us in, in thinking about relationships is do the slow dance. I know this sounds awkward. You're in junior high, and you look at each other. The boys are on this side. The girls are on this side. And it's kind of like... Who's going to make the first move? And that's actually a good thing in relationships because there's this trepidation, there's this fear of actually what's going to happen when the two touch. Because y'all, y'all understand, some of you are old enough to know that, hey, when you do touch, there's, there's a natural attraction and you're looking across and you can move too fast in the dance. Am I right? Not every song is a fast song and you've got to slow dance. And the beauty of the slow dance, wives, is that you can talk. That may be one of the few times that you can pull your husband close enough that you can talk to him and he will listen to you for a little bit. And he's a captive audience. And if he doesn't say something you want, you can step on his toe. Right? So slow dance. Because here's what you do know as well, I think, is that there is a time where the feeling of love, whatever that is, leaves. And so you've been there, maybe in the hallway, you're walking down and you're coming out of your classroom and that girl or that guy walks past you and you're like, woo. God, you did good. We call it a two-hander moment where you're like, wow, that's God, you did really good. And so somebody's walking by and you're like, okay, cool. And then you go to lunch and then you come out of lunch and you see another person that's really cool. And so that feeling from earlier has left and now you've got a new feeling. And so y'all understand that the feeling leaves. And so we talk about falling in and out of love, which is not really true. We don't fall in and out of love. We slowly move to that place and love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment. And so that's the one of the things that he talks about is the longer, if, if marriage is truly a lifelong commitment, that there's no reason to rush into it. Let's take time and really sort through the feelings and understand who, who is this person and what are these feelings and these emotions that I'm sorting through. So slow dance and get to know the person. The other thing that he talks about is that we need to grow up a little bit and that in general, um, most guys, um, our prefrontal cortex does not connect to the rest of our brain until we're 25. And all the ladies say yes, because what happens is before 25, we make a lot of dumb decisions. And all the ladies are going yes. And then after 25, we make fewer to dumb decisions. We still make them, but there's, there's fewer because we've, we've connected somewhere along the way. And so there's this thing of as you grow up, you identify and you ex- understand your own core values. And so one of those things is by the time you're about 25, you understand where you're going to go. You have a little understanding of who you are and what you're about and your core values. And so you've got to get to this place of growing up. It's hard for us to marry someone when we're too young because we don't even know who we are. So if we don't know who we are, how can we know who will do life with us? And so there's this meshing before you're even ready to go. And so obviously people mature at different ages and different stages. But of literally having someone come alongside and say, listen, you may not be ready. You don't even know who you are yet. How can you know who you're going to do life with for the rest of your life? So slow dance, grow up. Maybe you're in love with being in love and this 
this idea of that you think someone else um, is going to solve your problems. That if I just get in this relationship, then it'll solve all my other problems. And so you kind of have this idea that marriage will solve all my relationship issues. Some of you, maybe you've been in this place where you just want everybody to be happy. I went to college, and at our college, one of the themes was ring by spring or your money back. You ever heard that? And so <clears throat> that's always a good Christian college. And so girls and guys would repeatedly get engaged every spring to different guys and guys to different girls. And so it was just this whole thing. And so, but everybody just wanted to be happy. You wanted to, be, to, to feel like someone wants you and that need. And again, that's a part of maturing and growing up. And then also this idea of, of you what? You need to spend some time together to be able to develop a friendship and get to know their past and begin to experience some things and do life with them that we so choreograph our dates that you don't get to experience difficulties together. I mean, one of the best things that could probably ever happen on a date is that you have a flat tire or the car doesn't start or you run out of gas. Why? Not in the middle of nowhere, not that kind of choreograph, but that's, that life happens and you get to see how the other person deals with pressure and tension and you want to, you want to be able to see those things. The other idea that you want to kind of, again, spend time with is that we assume that the other person has grown up in exactly the same household that we grew up in. And if any of you all know, you've been in any kind of relationships and friendships, um, we, we, we grew up in radically different places. And so one of the things that even at our houses that we talk about, I tell the kids all the time, listen, your normal is not everyone else's normal. Your normal is not everyone else's normal. And that doesn't mean that we're normal. We may be crazy. But it means our crazy is different than everybody else's crazy. You know what I mean? And so our non-perfect is not everybody else's non-perfect. And it could be as simple as, hey, you call dinner, supper, or whatever you call it. And so you have all these different things, and you have all these different traditions. And so at Christmas, some of you, you do Christmas on Christmas Eve, and you open your presents, and you think that's going to happen. And the other person, their family opened Christmas presents on Christmas morning, and Santa shows up. And all these, I mean, you have all this different stuff. And that's the whole idea of the train wreck is you've got two People that they assume that they are doing have done life exactly the same way, and they have all this baggage, all these expectations, and then boom, it explodes. And then if they haven't done premarital counseling, they spend the next little bit unsorting and unpacking some of the things that they could have easily dealt with beforehand without the pressure of already being married, and um, and do it in a, maybe a little bit healthier way. We assume so much. And then also the last thing they talks about is there needs to be a cleanup on aisle number. Whatever, because we are not perfect people, we all come to a marriage with some brokenness. And as you begin to do life with someone and get to know them and have, there's opportunities for you to be able to, to delve in and to invest and say, hey, where are some of those areas of brokenness? Because there, where there are areas of brokenness that you're not pursuing wholeness, then that's going to impact your relationship. And so again, none of us are perfect. All of us have baggage. All of us have been broken. That's, let's claim that and name that, Okay. And so let's be honest about that and say, listen, this other person isn't going to complete me. I get that all the time, is that so-and-so is going to complete me. That is a lie. My wife, as much as I love her, she does not complete me. Okay? Jesus completes me. Us together are on a journey to know and understand Jesus better. She will never complete me. She will fail. She will mess up. I will fail. I will mess up. We will never complete one another, but our foundation is upon Jesus, and because our foundation is upon Jesus, and our direction should be toward the cross and toward Jesus, we're moving in the same way, in the same path, and so we're moving to that place. She will never, and, 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 and she understand. we know that, we've talked about that, and so for you, never believe that your spouse will complete you. It's not going to happen. You're on a journey together. 
All of us have brokenness. So I'll hear some of the errors that you've made. And you could probably write off to the side, hey, I've made this error. Here's some extra errors that I've made and things that I would teach someone else. We all have places where we've messed up and we can teach others. So the errors that we make, on the other side of that, how should we be then looking for compatibility? What are the scriptural things that we should be looking for in compatibility? The first thing I want you to get is this, is ask the question, who is driving the bus? Who's driving the vehicle? In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, I'm going to read a verse, uh, this verse, and it's out of a little different translation called The Voice, but I want you to kind of listen to this. Let us begin. <clears throat> the worship of the Eternal One, the one true God, is the first step toward knowledge. In other words, getting to know God and knowing God is the foundation. That's the first step in moving together. Fools, however, do not fear God and cannot stand wisdom or guidance. And then, <clears throat> In other words, that if you're on a bike together, your tandem bike, we saw some of these in the MS-150, there's Two people on a bike moving together. And so they have to continually pedal together. And so even when you come to a hill, what do you anticipate? Do you anticipate one person or no person or all the people pedaling together? You want everybody pedaling. So whenever life gets most difficult, the beauty of a tandem bicycle is that two of you are pedaling to get up the hill to get to that place. And so this is the guidance for us is that we need to know that we are moving in the same direction because if not, then it's going to look like a comedy show and we're going to go off in two different directions. One person is going to be pedaling over here and someone's going to be going over on this direction with no control and then we're going to look back and go, hey, where, how come it's a little bit? And you look back and they're not there. And, and it's real easy to do in relationships because we don't communicate, we just assume. And the beginning of that foundation has to be our relationship. With Jesus Christ. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. That's pretty strong words. In other words, if someone, if you're, if you're in a relationship with someone and they are not a follower of Jesus and they're doing something, literally they are pursuing a different way and so that you are at war with one another. Every day that you wake up, their purpose and direction is here and your purpose and direction is over there and so there's a war. And so think of it as a rubber band, that you get this fresh rubber band when you're married and, and it's kind of it's there, it's, it's got a nice elasticity and you begin to, to do life and, you, hey, we go our separate ways in the day. And then we come back at night, and it's there. But then over time, it just continues to go further and further. And then, you know, over a long period of time, it loses the elasticity. And then it begins to begin frayed. And then naturally, then what happens? It breaks, and it pulls apart. It actually hurts. And so that's the image for us here is that it's followers of Jesus that we begin and have the foundation in Christ, and we're moving in the same direction. We're riding the same bike, and we're moving in this way, and that we're not pulling against one another, not at war with one another. Listen, we have different personalities, but our desire is to know and to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ and to love each other into that. Who's driving the bus? Who's driving the bicycle? The second compatibility thing is who do you see? Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3 says it this way, the right living are guided by integrity. In other words, that they look at, look at the Scripture and it mirrors back to them who they are. But the crooked, the ways of the crooked, of faithless, will lead to ruin. So think about it this way, that every day that you get up and if you spend some time in here, that it mirrors back to you the areas that you need to grow and you need to change. And so as you're looking at the mirror of God's Word, it says, hey, hey Chris, you've got to chisel off this and I need to do this and here. And so there's uncomfortability with that. And so that, that's a good thing. But also that what we should be doing, not just with ourselves, but in relationship to other people, is begin to reflect back. How are they reflecting back God to us? What are their core values? Who are they about? What are they about? And so we have a tendency 
and our relationships to do telescopes. And so we kind of do out here and we see someone from afar and we're like, hey, wow, they're cool. They kind of look like what I want to look like. And so you see this in junior high and high school, maybe even college, if someone says, hey, I want to be an individual. And so they begin dressing a certain way and, and making some changes because they, they see something in someone way out here that means something, that maybe that there's some value in what these people are. Maybe they want to be like them. And so they see out there and they begin to shape themselves to look like and, and act like and dress like these people, even talk like these people. And so they begin, to, and so these people that are individuals now become a group of 45. Have you ever seen that? And so that you ask them, hey, why do you dress? Why do you do what you do? And they're like, hey, I want to be an individual. And you're like, hey, well, I just saw 45 of y'all walk out of the same building. And so what really is what they're saying is I want, to, I want to identify myself and create this image, and I'm looking at others, and I want to create it in that image. And so for us, what we need to do is move from telescoping and seeing people from afar, because this is the thing that, that we're afraid of, is that we want to keep people at this place. We want to have people that telescope us and they see us from afar and they don't really draw us in. They really get to know us. And again, the biblical idea of knowledge is experiential knowledge over time. And one, that's how we get to know God, but that's how we get to know each other. That's the beauty of life group is we get to know each other. And so that we come into a place, and it's not just Chris, but then you begin to know me because we've done life together. And this is moving from telescope to microscope. And to put our lives with other people under the microscope means that there's some serious inspection going on. And they're, they're there and they're looking and they're talking and they're asking questions where they can really get to the DNA of who you are. They understand your core values. And, and that means that they've got to be close. They've got to get to know you and vice versa. And so that that is truly what it should look like in our dating relationships, but also in our relationships with friends over a long period of time, that there's going to be moments where we move from this telescopic thing from way off far and they're really close and under microscopes we begin to delve into what really makes us tick and what motivates us. Because again, we're not perfect people, but there are places that God wants to transform us and the way that he transforms us is one through his word, but through the friendships that we build with people, they help transform us and move us because we need friends moving with us in the same direction. And that there are going to be times where we have to have friends do and have difficult conversations with us. That's called love. That's not anything else other than that, to be able to have those difficult conversations. Who do you see? Because character is important. That is what builds trust. A relationship where there's a lack of character and a lack of trust is not going to last long. So who do you see? The next thing is check the gauges. Now listen, I'm the furthest thing from a car mechanic. I, I know very little about cars except put the key in, turn it. I mean, <clears throat> my son's at an age where he's infatuated with cars and so and trucks, and so he'll come home and he'll go, hey, Dad, have you heard about the new Ford Raptor? It's got a V12, it's got WorkTech, all this different stuff. And I'm like, my eyes, and I love my son, and I'm, and I don't, because it, it's language I don't get. And so I'm just like, yeah, dude, that's awesome. And ultimately, what I ask is, what does it cost? And he tells me, I'm like, what's out? It's done. Yeah, you know, you're getting the 75 beater truck that's been passed down, you know, whatever. <clears throat> and that's what's going to happen. And so, but here's what I do know. When you put the key in and you turn it, there's these gauges that light up. Y'all seen these things? And so the gauges light up. And then what happens on the next phase, whenever it actually kicks over, those gauges should go off. Am I right? Mostly. Okay. All right, and so those gauges still go up. That's what I, so that's what my daughter is driving, and that's what I've told her. Listen, go out, walk around the car. If there's air in the tires, you know you have gas, check the gauges, okay? If the gauges aren't, are on and they're not supposed to be, call me, and I'll call somebody else who knows what that gauge does, okay? But at least let's get to that place. And here's what Proverbs 22.3 says. It says, 
<laughs> a prudent person foresees the dangers and protects cautions. In other words, they see the dangers. They see the gauges lit up, and they may not fully understand what it means or why they're there, but they begin to take precautions. They call people in and ask the right questions. Because, listen, emotional health is important in a relationship. If you're going to do life with somebody over a long period of time, you need to ask the difficult questions and say, where have you been wounded in the past? And so many times, couples come in and talk to me, and the very first thing that we have to deal with is, where were you wounded in the past that you haven't been willing to talk about and discuss? Because an area that you're wounded in the past is still a festering wound, and it's going to be gangrene, it's going to hurt, and it's going to be painful, and you're not going to want that other person to see it, and so you're going to hide it. We do that. We cover up that stuff. And the place that you need to be most vulnerable, the person that needs to know the most about that is your spouse, and so you've got to talk about it so that you can get to a place to find wholeness. Because, listen, we as guys especially, one of the best things that we do is when we tell stories, what do we do? We go, hey, listen, you should see, you should have seen what happened because we begin to show our scars. And scars are that we have stories, and that also means there's a moment of brokenness, but also that there's been healing. And so we don't need to be going through our lives and our relationships, and we understand that we're, we've been wounded, and that's a part of life because people will wound us and hurt us. But we don't have to let those things be there. We need to find healing and let there be scars so that our loved ones will know, look, I know, how to, I know that you've been wounded in this area, and I don't want to go that place. I want to help you find wholeness. I want you to find healthiness. Check the gauges of your heart. Check the gauges of those. Spend time with people. Our past impacts our, pre- our present. Our past does impact our present. We can't keep pretending as if it doesn't because it also it impacts our future if we don't deal with it. The next thing I want us to, to grasp is this, is in Proverbs verse 20, verse 5, is the principle of can you hear me now? Have you all have had those, seen those commercials over and over and over and over again and you've had that frustrating moment of where you're talking to someone and you think that they're still there and you don't get a response when you think you should get a response and you look and your phone and you're like, it's dropped the call and you're like, rrr, rrr, rrr. And, you know, because you've said something real important and now you won't be able to remember what it is. And so that frustration with that, right? And so that's true here is can you hear me now? And, and Proverbs verse 25 said this way, the real motives come from deep within a person. The real motives come from deep within a person as from deep waters. But a discerning person, a person that's willing to spend time and invest and to sit is a person who's able to draw them up and expose them. In other words, The longer that we do life with someone, the deeper we're going to be able to go. And the stuff that's in the deep recesses of their heart and their soul and the true things that motivate and move them and their core values can only be found in the deep waters. Because up on the top, we present what we want people to see. But truly what moves us, what's moving the ship, what's moving the boat, what's moving us is is down before. We're being moted, moted and motored by what's underneath, not what's on top. And so for us to spend time and invest and to get to know, especially for a marriage, if you're looking for the long haul, you have to know the motives of someone's heart. You don't want to be shocked in three to five to seven years and realize that their motives and what they're after and pursuing is not what you're after and pursuing. And then finally, also, one of the things that the church has really kind of shot away from is this idea of let's get physical. Because let's be honest, God did a good job when he created the world, did he not? Y'all been to Colorado? Y'all been to Hawaii? And you're, you go to Hawaii and go, hmm, it's pretty boring scenery. God, what were you doing on this day? That was, that's horrible. I hate those flowers and this greenery. 
and the blue water, the blue-green water, and wow, that's just horrible. God, the mountains are just atrocious. I mean, why, why would you waste your time doing this? And so somewhere we got all this down, and then all of a sudden we come to man and woman, and we're like, we can't talk about it in the church. And it's the most natural attraction that all of us have is that God made a woman, and he said she was good. Okay? He made man and said he was crazy. No, he said it was good. And so there's this good. And so he created a natural physical attraction that we have in us. We look at someone, and we're naturally attracted to someone, and we're drawn to that thing. I mean, that's the whole thing about um, junior high and high school is we're teaching kids, hey, Harry and Henrietta the hormone are active. Right? And so that's what you're trying to figure out. What, what, I'm going to lose this loving feeling. What, what is this? What is going on? And so there's a natural attraction. And so we, we teach our kids, like, listen, you need to be able to say to us or yourself, whatever, be honest with yourself. Someone walks by and you're like, God, you did good. You did good. And so we just go like, whew, yeah, two-hander. God, you did good. That's good stuff. That's awesome. And then you acknowledge that. The deal is, is that, that that is good. Now, the next part that we have to be honest with is that so many times we move past this, hey, God, you did a good job, and then we move into lust, okay, which is sin. But let's acknowledge that God did good, and then let's just leave it there. God, you did a good thing and move forward because this is the deal, is that physical stuff does leave, all right? I mean, you know what? I'm not 18 anymore. I don't weigh 165 pounds and have blonde hair. Just news for you guys. I don't know if y'all knew that or not, okay? So stuff changes and moves around and all that different kind of stuff. And so um, now I don't have a six-pack. I have a couple of kegs. And so, and so, you know, things happen. And so, you know, that's whatever. But there's still this. It's more than just physical attraction. It's attraction to the character. So read this passage with me that you've probably, maybe you've read it before as a kid and your Sunday school teacher just totally just passed over it because they didn't know what to do with it. Genesis chapter 29 Verse 11. Here we go. Y'all ready? Can you throw it up there for us? Yeah. Jacob kissed Rachel and did what? Wow, he was moved by this woman. I mean, guys, when's the last time you wept aloud if you kissed your wife or a girl? Nobody? It wasn't very good. I don't know. I mean, seriously. I mean, he was that moved. God created man and woman, and he's excited about what he's created. He's not surprised. That Adam and Eve created Cain and Abel. How did that happen? And he wasn't figuring. I mean, he, he created this and he understood it. And so as a church, we need to be able to realize, listen, the best way, the confines of marriage is the best way for, for us to experience and to the fullness of what God has for us in sexual intimacy. And that God has drawn us together and there's a natural attraction and that maybe, guys, we should be moved by the fact that God has amazed us with this wonderful woman. Or, ladies, maybe you should be moved by God has blessed you with this amazing man. And just weep aloud. Be moved with emotion over this. I mean, try this. Maybe if your husband or wife is not here, you go home and try this and see what happens. They might leave and lock the door and say, go to a counselor. I don't know. But, but moved by the fact that, look, God, you've provided for me. There's this idea that Jacob knew that this was the woman. It's kind of that hallelujah moment that that the light shone on her, and he's like, oh, this is the one, right? I mean, that, wouldn't that be nice if that happened? You walked in the subway, and there's this girl, and you're like, oh, this is it, and you knew right then, and then you call your parents, Dad, $33,000 by next Friday, you know? And you're like, no, 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 it would be easy. And then Dad's like, no, go elope. I got $5. Go to Hank's across the street, all right? Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and then here's the cool thing. He waited seven years. 
That's a long haul, bro. Seven years, I mean, he's got a doctorate. Seven years. Then verse 20 of Genesis 29. So Jacob spent the next seven years working to pay for Rachel for the endowment. But it seemed to him but a few days. Oh. Why, ladies? He was in so much in love. All right? And then he had to work another seven years because he got tricked. So 14 years for this one woman and all these guys are like, no, I'm out. No, that's what he's saying. That's what God's saying to us is, listen, the investment of who I've provided for you is worth the investment that you weep and cry and amazed over the beauty of the character of the person that God's provided for you because the foundation of their life is built upon Christ and Christ alone and you're riding the bike in tandem together moving toward Jesus Christ. And yes, there's going to be moments where it's going to be extremely difficult and those are the moments that you communicate back and forth and saying, hey, how are you doing? I'm working hard. Hey, take a break for a second. I'll do it myself. And there's times where you say both, hey, we both got to pedal hard to get to this place. And then there's times where you're literally, you're going down the hill and you're going together and you don't even have to pedal and you're just kind of like, ah, and it's the most freeing, exciting times. But guess what? To go down the hill, you have to climb up the hill. And so many give up climbing up the hill, not realizing that on the other side of that is beauty and glory because they've done the hard work to get to the top and look down. And it's like scary, but at the same time, it's freeing. And to know, to know, to know that that has been built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and what God has for us. And it doesn't happen overnight. We think that Love and affection and all this stuff happens in a microwave society. We can put it in and 30 seconds later it's there. It takes time and energy and fight and honesty and transparency to realize we're all broken people. God wants to heal us and to fix us and to move us into a place of wholeness. And that other partners are not going to do it, but through Jesus we can come together and have a, a pretty cool thing that happens. That two broken people look like the church. And it's beautiful. Even in Proverbs chapter 5, he says this. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. And previous to all this, he's been talking about, hey, here's, here's what it looks like to, to be outside of the confines of a covenant um, relationship with a one husband and one wife. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She's a loving deer and a graceful doe. You can imagine that. <clears throat> My mind is, I have a crazy mind, so I imagine my wife, like, bouncing across the fields. Go, honey, go. Don't tell her that. Let her breast satisfy you always. May you be captivated by her love. May you weep over the character of who she is. Listen, none of us are perfect. None of us have got it together. We're all broken people, but God has a great plan for us. And the picture that he chooses even for his church is a husband and wife pursuing Jesus. So it's never been a perfect church. There's never a perfect marriage, but there's two working together to move toward Jesus. As we kind of close this time out, I want to show you this video. This is of a couple, and um, they're broken people. So watch their story. They were David and Denise Renkin. David and I have both been married three times. For me, I fantasize that if I 
If I cooked, if I cleaned, if I kept myself attractive, if I did all the things that I thought a wife was supposed to be and do that um, I would have a happy marriage. I had actually modeled most of my expectations on marriage from the sitcoms because I was raised in a pretty rough home. So um, in order to see what a marriage looked like, I looked at television. So whatever they were projecting on Leave it to Beaver or Father Knows Best, that's kind of what I thought it would be. My first marriage ended very tragically. Uh, the first year we were so focused on on working, we're trying to go back to school and and having the baby and, the, and then he was born and that was our whole world. Then the second year, I discovered he was having an affair. He left, went with her, and the marriage ended. And the devastation of, of that, of that trust being broken, it just, it ripped me apart in a way that I didn't know was possible. And uh, that was tough. Yeah, the, the first marriage... <laughs> We had gotten married very quickly. It was maybe, we'd known each other 10 weeks. I uh, was working hard and wasn't a very happy person, basically. My wife, the one that uh, was so attractive whenever I started coming home, was dressed in sweats every day or something else. And um, it, my idyllic world really wasn't there. I mean, this dream I had. And uh, we ended up divorcing. So my first marriage is over, and I am being pursued by husband number two. And I was hearing something different from this man. I was hearing that he understood the trauma that I had been through, that he would never do something like that to me. And so we ended up marrying. But what I learned after a few years into the marriage was that he was having an affair. The uh, second marriage lasted for a lot longer, but I had multiple affairs during that relationship, and uh, that was the end of that marriage. So the marriage has ended, and I am um, yet pursued again and marry again. And this man is, he comes into the marriage and, and just telling me, I know what you've been through, and I'm willing to give you whatever time you need to heal. For the first time, I was married to a man who was willing to shoulder um, family responsibilities. After the, uh, the second divorce, uh, I, I called a few friends looking for advice because I, I was still pretty miserable. And uh, I got the best advice I had, uh, and that was that uh, what I needed to do with my life was uh, be the best godly single man I could be. That uh, instead of looking for what I wanted in relationships, I really needed to look to God, who was the relationship I'd walked away from. That night after that confrontation, I, I felt like I was my world was over and basically cried out to God, and I said, uh, take my life and I asked him at that time to uh, I surrendered control it was the first time where I really surrendered control to God if I was going to church 
uh, for maybe three or four months, and uh, I began to date, and uh, pretty soon we ended up getting married. But this time that marriage wasn't uh, based on what she could do for me or what I could do for her, and I wanted to make God the centerpiece of our marriage. All three times I was married to the same person. That's right. We've been married three times to each other. Wow. David and I went through Reengage as a couple. And the Reengage program took God's word, took his plan for our marriage, and made it simple so that we could understand. And then we, we're now in the process of facilitating our third couple. Every time we go through that, uh, it takes us another step forward. I tell you, the joy that I've had, I wouldn't trade it for the world. There's nothing too big that God can't handle. Shocking, huh? When she goes, wow, I'm out of all y'all going, what? Here's the deal. God's a God of reconciliation and restoration and redemption. And so even in the midst of Mary and David's story, God was working and moving. And the beautiful thing is now that people that were once severely broken are now have a foundation built upon Jesus Christ and are moving forward and are now mentoring other people. Can you imagine the stories and the, the, the stuff that they have to teach? A lot. And so, again, out of those scars, they can say, here's a scar, and here's what we've learned, and here's the scriptural principle. So for you, one of the beautiful things about life groups is all of us are in there and we're showing our scars and saying, hey, here's where God's taking us. Here's where we're moving us. So in your marriage, if you're not married, you're thinking about marrying, listen to these principles. There's great wisdom and truth so that you don't have to have the scars and the hurts and the shames and the pain. And um, those of you that are married, find some people that you know that you need to help them see the danger signs of where they're moving and invest and mentor and love and care. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are for what you will do through us and in us if we will just surrender to you. Lord, may you be brought glory and honor and fame through the way that we do relationships, whether it's friendships, it's dating, it's marriage, all of that. Father, the world is looking to us to see how we love one another. May we do it well. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.